about being doers of the word of God. I love the book of James. Well, I love the Bible. But the book of James must be one of my favorites. Although every time I study the book of James, I hear myself saying, ouch, that hurts. James is known as a common sense gospel. And I like to think of myself as having some common sense. Maybe I don't, but I know one thing. I understand James. There's a few words in there that's a little bit difficult, but he gets right to the point. As my dad used to say, he gets right down to the nitty gritty. He doesn't have a lot of wasted words, actually none that I know of. And so, if you will, open your Bibles to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Also, while you turn to James chapter 1, if you find a Bible about this size, I have lost it. From Monday night until present day, I have not been able to find it. You will recognize it because it is covered with nothing other than gorilla tape. But it's the one I use all the time, and so it's very precious and special to me. So if you happen to see it, grab it and hang on to it. It's mine. So when James starts out, in the first few verses, he points out that we are to count it all joy, or his readers, those, uh, the Bible says, to the 12 tribes that were scared abroad, greetings. Looks as though he's writing to Christians, people of God. But he, and he calls them brethren. He said, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. You know, how can you rejoice when you fall into divers temptations? Well, he tells you why. He points out very clearly that the trying of your faith worketh patience. What kind of faith would we have if we had faith that was never tried, if we were never called upon to exercise our faith? And as you all know, right now, during these very trying times, our faith is being tried. Maybe like never before, but we are definitely having our faith tried this year. But the trying of your faith is good because it works patience. The word patience means endurance. It, it's kind of like a person that does not use his muscles. If you just lay around and don't do anything, eventually if you have any muscles, they start to deteriorate. Why? They need to be tried. They need to be exercised. That's why people that lift weights, their muscles grow because they're exercising those muscles. You stop exercising your muscles, they stop growing and they start to deteriorate. So our faith needs to be tried. We need to be in situations where we have to exercise our faith so that our faith can grow. Just like Abraham, when he was told to take Isaac up on that mountain, offer him as a, son, uh, as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice. Abraham's faith was being tried. He had to exercise his faith. But don't you know his faith grew in God from the time he went up on top of that mountain to the time he came down off of that mountain? And so, yes, it's, it's tough when our faith is being tried, but it's a good thing that our faith is tried from time to time, that we may grow and that we may mature into to strong and faithful Christians. He talks about asking for faith. He talks about not being a double-minded man. A uh, double-minded man's unstable in all of his ways. You've seen people like that. They talk out of both sides of their mouths. And then he talks about 
the poor and he talks about the wealthy and points out that the wealthy are brought low when you look at the end of things because as the Bible says over and again, you brought nothing into this world and you're going to take nothing out of this world. And so we need to use what we have wisely. But then you'll notice in verse 12, he says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. When you study the book of James, realize that this is about proofs, plural, of true faith. There's about five different proofs here in the book of James. And so this one has to do with enduring temptations or trials, chapter 1. That's the proof that you find there. So you kind of keep that in your mind as you study through chapter 1 of the book of James. But then you know he also said in verse 13, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. So when you're going through trials and when you're going through temptations, don't ever even think about blaming God. God does not want you to fail. He does not want to cast a stumbling block before you. He don't want to, he don't want to try you that way to cause you to stumble. He wants us all to be successful. It's the devil that wants us to fall, not God. But then he points out just for those who might would want to blame God, when they're tempted he says in verse 14 but every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed there are things that entice us right there are certain things that we desire that we are told you can't have that it's just like Adam and Eve were told that they could not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil but yet they were enticed they desired it it was tempting. They lusted over it. Notice, he goes on to say, When he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed, then when lust hath conceived, when that opportunity comes, it bringeth forth sin, conception. And sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death, separation from God. And then he points out, Don't blame God, but realize that every good and perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness nor shadow of turning. In other words, God's not against you. He's not trying to trap you. He's not trying to trick you. He's not trying to get you to stumble. It's just the opposite. God's on your side. Every good thing, every good gift, every good giving that you have ever received, it's all from God. God is a good God. And then... He goes to verse 18 and he says, Of his own will begot he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. It was of God's will that he sent his only begotten Son to die upon the cross, that we might have life and have it more abundantly, John 10, 10, John 3, 16. It really upsets me when I hear people blaming God and saying, God, why did you do this? God, why did you do that? God, like it's all God's fault. It's not God's fault. Man creates his problems, not God. 
Verse 19, he said, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Those are some of the wisest words that I've ever read. It seems like many times we have this backwards, though. We want to be slow to hear, but quick to speak and quick to get angry. Just the opposite of what we should do. Oh, it will serve us well if we'll follow what this verse actually teaches. Be swift to hear. Be quick to listen. Think about your words before you speak them. It will save you a lot of grief and a whole lot of trouble for you and also for others. It's kind of a shame that you have to wait till you're older in life before you start realizing that a lot of the things that have happened to us we brought upon ourselves because we didn't listen to James and we ran our mouths when we should not have been, said things we should not have done, and became angry quickly. The people I know that have bad tempers, it's like they blow up and then they say, well, you know I've got a bad temper. I've just got a bad temper. Like, okay, well, that's okay then. You can go ahead and just do your thing and be ugly. And, and by the way, notice what he says in the next verse. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. How many times have you worked the righteousness of God when you were angry? How many times have you said the right things when you were angry? How many times have you done the right things when you were angry, full of wrath? That's a good time to be quiet, isn't it? That's a good time to be off by yourself a lot of times. And then he says, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. That just means abundance of wickedness. Is there wickedness in the church? Yes. Do we sin from time to time? Yes. Should we put it away from us? Yes. And receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. The world needs the word of God. That's the answer to the world's problems. They need to receive the engrafted word. Let it be grafted into their minds. Because that will save their souls and that will change the world. If they would only do that. Now look at verse 22. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Be ye doers of the word. The word doer denotes a maker of anything. It is the Greek word from which we get the word poet. It pictures creative action be a doer that means there's to be some action coming from us many Christians complain because the church where they attend does not have any any organized work going on you know what James kills this attitude well I'm not doing anything because I don't know what to do and we don't have anything going on James puts it back on each of us as individuals You've got the word. He says, do it. You don't have to wait for someone to say, look, we need you here at this certain time to do these certain things. It's good when we have that kind of structure and organization and, uh, and things going on like that. But James says, look, don't wait for someone to tell you something to do. 
James says, get busy. Be a creative doer. Be doing the Word of God. Use the gifts that God's given you. Put them to work. Don't wait for a church program. Don't wait for someone to say, look, this is what I need you to do today at a certain time, at a certain place, and on and on. Don't wait for that. The Christian life is about doing, about being busy. There's always something to do. God gave us brains. He gave us senses to be able to sense things that need to be done and brains to know what to do and, and instructions on how to do. That's why in Galatians 6.10, Paul said, As we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially to them who are the household of faith. Be busy doing good to all men. The idea is in keeping is to keep on demonstrating yourselves as doers of the word. It's not like a one-time action. Be doers. He's not saying just go do it one time. Be doers. Study the word. You find the commands in there, the things that God's commanded, the things that are right and good, and be doing that. In Hebrews 5, verse 8 and 9, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience to the things which he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Is there ever a time when there's nothing to do? in order to obey God. We are to obey the things that Jesus commands us to do. In Matthew 7, verse 21, you remember Jesus said, Not everyone saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth, it's a continual action, the will of my Father which is in heaven. And many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Then will I profess unto you, them I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, shall be likened unto a wise man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat upon the house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon the rock. But then the foolish ones are those that hear the sayings, but they don't do what he says do. And so we are to be doers of the word. Keep on doing the word of God and then James said and not hearers only if one thinks he can hear the word preached and not do anything with it he is sadly mistaken on one occasion Jesus said why call you me Lord Lord and do not the things that I say Luke chapter 6 verse 46 you see the hearer that is mentioned here is not one that is disinterested in what's being said. No, that's not the person he's talking about. It's one that is interested and he listens intently. But he thinks that the blessings come from simply being a good listener of the Word of God. That he doesn't have to do anything. He doesn't have to implement in his life the things that he has heard in order to be blessed. I believe there's some in the Lord's church like that today. I believe there's some that attend services, most of them not on a regular basis, but from time to time, and some maybe once, a, once a, one hour a week or something to that effect. Or maybe it's a hit and miss. And it's though they, they're acting as though they believe that just hearing a message, hearing a Bible class, hearing the Word of God taught and preached, well, that takes care of it. And everything's going to be well with their souls. When someone thinks like that, they've totally missed the point. We hear so that we can do. 
You don't hear just to hear. You hear to do. Those that think, well, oh, I can just hear and then I'll receive the blessing from hearing only. James says you're deceiving your own selves. If a person thinks he can just hear the word of God and benefit, what deception? I would throw that in the same category that we find over in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, where Solomon said, there's a way that seemeth right unto a man, the end thereof are the ways of death. Perhaps that's, that's one of those ways that's, that's included in that. There are people, or else James would not be talking about it, that believe that just hearing the word of God is going to do the trick. That just gives you information and understanding and encouragement, motivation. But you've got to be a doer. This is akin to a, a man that goes to the doctor, makes an appointment, goes to the doctor. The doctor examines the person and then prescribes medication and actions to be followed. And the person does not fulfill, uh, does not fill his uh, prescription and does not exercise or eat right or whatever. Just goes on. What good does it do to go to the doctor if you're not going to listen to what he says and put it into practice? As a matter of fact, I found out recently they are not very happy with a person that does that. When they give you instructions, they expect you to follow those instructions. You can't do like Sister Frances. Get your pill bottle, take one pill. If you don't think it works, flush the rest of them down the commode. You can't do that. It doesn't work like that. You've got to follow their instructions. That's why you go. When it comes to the Word of God, it's the same thing. As James says in chapter 2, verse 14, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? James 2, 14, faith without works is no good. Hearing the word of God without works is no good. And that's what James is pointing out. Verse 23 of chapter 1, James says, For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. It's like James is saying, Okay, I know some of you didn't get what I just said. So I'm going to paint you a picture. You can't miss this. I love when the Holy Spirit paint the Holy Spirit paints pictures for me I can usually hold on to those pictures they say a picture is worth a thousand words well when God paints you a picture with words you can't put a value on it it's priceless just like he taught in parables to help embalm truth into your mind well here James says I'm gonna paint you a picture I'm gonna give you illustration when he talks about a man that sees his natural face, he's just talking about the face of his birth. He's talking about his own face. You see your own face in a mirror. You probably did that sometime today. Well, a few of you probably didn't, but most of you looked into a mirror. Well, some of you may have looked in it and you did just like this guy. You see, he says, you see your face, you behold it, you see your natural face in a glass, that glass would be a mirror of some sort, probably at that time. It might have been some type of polished brass or metal or some kind of copper or tin, maybe even silver, whatever they made mirrors out of back then. But he's talking about a mirror. You look in a mirror, you see yourself, you behold yourself. You know what that word beholding means? That means to fix the mind definitely on. It's not like a quick glance. That might be the problem. We just took a quick glance. No, it's beholding. You take a good look in that mirror. You look and you see yourself. You see that reflection of yourself. 
And then you need to be doing something about it. Make the corrections necessary. The word of God is the mirror of the soul. That's what he's saying. So when we look into the word of God, if we're honest, we will see ourselves in there as God sees us. And most likely, I don't know about for you, but every time I look in there, I see corrections. I need things I need to improve on. There's things I need to change. Now, there are those that just look and leave. They take a glance, oh, that'll be okay, and they go on about their business. They think everything's going to be okay. No, we behold ourselves in the Word of God. We see ourselves the way God sees us, and then we work to make corrections because we want to look our very best for our God. And so James says, don't be just a hearer. Don't just look in there and then leave. You look in there, you listen, and you do something about it. You make corrections. There's not a one of us that's perfect. There may be some in our world who think they are, but they're not. If you think you're perfect, then that's proof that you're not perfect. You're flawed like the rest of us. Verse 24, he says, For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. To look in the mirror did not benefit the man, because he turned away and did not do anything about what he saw. Much like some in the church today, they listen to the message, but they don't really make the connection. And sometimes people will say things like this, Preacher, I sure did need that sermon. But the next time you preach the same sermon, they say the same thing. Preacher, I sure did need that sermon. I heard of a preacher one time that preached the same sermon for weeks, weeks and weeks and weeks. And when he was called in, asked, why you keep preaching the same sermon? He basically said, because people are not obeying the one that I preach. There's no need to move on to another one. We need to pay attention to the word of God, and then we need to use it to make corrections and changes in our lives. Preacher, you sure stepped on my toes today. Well, that's what you said last time I preached the same sermon. Make some changes. Listen to the word of God and do something. Verse 25, James says, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Who's the man that's going to be blessed? The one that hears and then just goes on and ignores? No. The one that hears and puts into action. See, but whoso looketh in the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, James now contrasts the doer of the word with the non-doer. Looketh. That word looketh means to stoop sideways, to look diligently into something. Again, it's not a casual glance, but a penetrating look. You remember when Peter and John and others received the word that Jesus was no longer in that tomb and you remember Peter and John ran to the tomb and just so happened John outran Peter I believe that was John the other disciple and it does mention the one that Jesus loved so I believe that's talking about John the Bible says in John 20 verse 5 and he stooping down and looking in saw the linen clothes lying yet when he not in you can imagine what that was like he's running to a grave 
He's already heard that his Lord and Savior is not in there. But he wants to see it for himself. I don't know how far he ran, but he ran. You know, you run a long ways, you're probably going to be a little bit out of breath. But he stopped and he looked up in that tomb and he stared. Can you imagine what that was like? In verse 11 it says, But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. I can see that, can't you? Just staring, looking, in amazement. Well, whosoever looketh into the perfect law of liberty. The law of liberty is perfect. That means it's complete. It's, it's full. It's, it's whole. In 1 Corinthians 13, verse 10, that's, this is exactly what Paul was talking about when he said, But when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part shall be done away. That which is incomplete will be done away. Talking about that system of spiritual gifts and all. They were temporary. The speaking in tongues, the supernatural knowledge, supernatural wisdom, the miracles. Those would all be done away when that which perfect was come, which is the teleos, the perfect or complete word of God. It's also called, he calls it there, the perfect law of liberty. Liberty. Now, some people say because we're not under the law of Moses, we're not under law. I've had people tell me that we're under grace and not law, that law was for the people in the Old Testament and grace is for people in the New Testament. Well, I'll tell you what. They had grace on the Old Testament and they had law under, under the Old Testament. We have grace on the New Testament, but we also have law under the New Testament. We're not under the law of Moses, but we are under law, and that law is called the perfect law of liberty. Why is it called the perfect law of liberty? Acts, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 2 Paul said, for the law of the spirit of life in Jesus Christ has made us free from the law of sin and death. The law of Christ is that perfect law of liberty. It frees us from sin when we obey it. In Galatians chapter 6 verse 2, Paul said, bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We have law that we must obey. And it is the law of Christ. But that law is called the perfect law of liberty. It's complete. Jude, verse 3, points out that it was once and for all time delivered to the saints. There will be no additions to the perfect law of liberty. James said, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. We've got to remember, we can't be forgetful when it comes to the word of God. Y'all know that's one of, my, one of my best qualities. I have a knack for being able to forget things that don't mean much to me. It's so easy, it's unbelievable. Some of you can testify to that. A brother of mine one time said, Mike, you're living proof that you can be a preacher without a memory. That's how bad it is. And sometimes that's a good thing. But when it comes to the Word of God, I don't want to forget the Word of God. I don't want to forget what God teaches us in His Word. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 and 2, 
Paul said, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. We need to keep this in our memory. We need to be reminded over and over again of what God teaches, what God's Word says. We don't want to be a forgetful hearer. We don't want to hear it and then forget it. We want to remember it. Why? So we can obey it. So we can keep putting it in practice. We must obey God's Word. Again, Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, turn the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. If you can't remember it, you can't do it. You can't do what you can't remember. That's why we have to study 2 Timothy 2, 15. We've got to read the Word of God. We've got to cherish the Word of God. We've got to hide it in our hearts, as the psalmist said, that we might not sin against God. And I love what Jesus said in John 13, verse 17, when he said, If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. You want to be happy? Be a doer of the word of God and not a hearer. You know that already from experience. When you're busy doing the Lord's will, that's probably when you're the happiest in your life. And when you're busy not doing the Lord's will, that's when you're the most miserable. When you're not happy. So James has spent a lot of time describing the proper attitude and response toward the Word of God. He talked about really two attitudes. One was a hearer, but not a doer. The one that would be blessed and would be happy would be the doer. And then he basically presents three things for the reader that he could take to examine himself to see if he was right with God, to see if his religion was pure and undefiled or if it was vain, empty. And I'll not cover everything I have on that, but I will bring these out. For you to see. Verse 26. He then says. If any man among you seem to be religious. Seem to be. You know some people seem to be religious. To themselves. In their own eyes. You remember the Pharisee and the publican. That went down to the temple to pray. Luke chapter 18. You remember how the Pharisee. Boasted about himself. Oh he to himself. He seemed to be very religious, didn't he? But then, on the other hand, there's those like those Pharisees over in Matthew chapter 5 who, who were practicing the doctrines and traditions of their fathers. And they wanted the, you know, the pots washed. They, they had all kind of ceremonial things and all kind of outward things to be seen. And quite often they'd be upset with the disciples of the Lord because they wouldn't wash their hands before they'd eat or something like that. But they wanted to be seen of others to be religious. But they were not. But if you want to be religious, if you want to be right with God and pleasing, notice 
James says, If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. So if I want to be right with God and practice pure religion, I need to bridle my tongue. Why does James have to bring that up? Of all things that James could have said, he said, bridle your tongue. Isn't that one of the hardest things you've ever tried to do? You know what the idea with a bit, a bridle, you put it in a horse's mouth and that's how you steer the horse around? Don't make the mistake I did one time and got on one without a bit and that wasn't pretty. You got to have somebody to steer that thing. It's like a rudder on a boat. Some way to steer it? Well, you gotta bridle that tongue. You gotta control it. You gotta have you gotta steer that thing. You gotta make sure that you don't do damage and do harm and lose your soul because of your tongue. James said earlier in chapter one, verse nineteen, that we are to be slow to speak. Slow to speak. And in James chapter three, where he really talks about the tongue, in verse two, he talks about if you can bridle your tongue, if you control your tongue, you control the rest of your body. He also says an unruly evil is full of deadly poison. And so you've got to be careful. So James said, you don't know if you practice pure religion or if your, your religion is vain. Think about how you use your tongue. We can do so much good with our tongues. But we can destroy so much with our tongues. We can do so much harm. You can use your tongue and you can, you can build things up and build people up and just like that you can tear them down to the ground with a sharp tongue. Be careful how you use your tongue because if you don't control your tongue you may think, oh, I'm doing great, I'm pleasing God, but all the while you've deceived yourself again as is mentioned in Proverbs 14, 12. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8, Paul said, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for what sir a man soweth, that shall he also reap. This man's religion is vain. That just means empty, it's valueless, there's no benefit, it's unacceptable to God. So, when I get to this part, I have to ask myself this question. Do I have proper control of my tongue? If I don't, I've got a problem. I've got to go to work. Now I can look at this and I can say, well, you know what, Mike, that's a problem you've got. But I ain't going to worry about it right now. I'm just going to do my thing. Nah. James said, you do that, your religion is vain. Verse 27, he said, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. So here you've got two more things he brings up. One is to visit the fatherless and widows and as you've heard me teach on this before, that's more than just an occasional stick your head in the door, how you doing, or a little phone call. That has to do with seeing, going in and observing and seeing what needs to be done to help someone that's in need. Working to meet those needs, to care for them and to minister to them. It's a lot to it. Who are we to visit? Well, he mentions widows and orphans, the fatherless, those that do not have fathers to, to take care of them and those that do not have husbands to take care of them. But actually, it goes much further than that. Those are just some of the ones that are, are usually in a greater need of needing help. But we're to help everyone that we have the opportunity to, but 
Of course, in Acts chapter 6, you read about the Grecian widows that were being neglected, and there were some men chosen to take care of the Grecian widows. That was part of the work of the church. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 13, uh, 3 through 16, talks about how that when we have widows in our own families, we are to take care of them. It's our responsibility, not the church's, because the church needs to be free to help those that don't have family to help them or that can help themselves. But when people need help, the bottom line is pure religion is helping those that are in need. And it starts first in the church, as Paul said in Galatians 6.10, As we therefore have opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially to those who are the household of faith. We need to take care of one another. Matthew 25, verse 31 through 46. You remember Jesus talked about it. he was hungry and thirsty and naked and in prison, all those things. And there were those on the right hand that took care of him. Those on the left hand didn't. That, you know, the church would be the ones that would be represented there. We are to take care of one another. Matthew 7, 12. As we know, we know as a golden rule, therefore all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do you even so to them? It's what we need to be busy doing. And so I must ask myself at least two questions. One, am I, do I have proper control of my tongue? You see, this is how you examine yourself. Sometimes it hurts, doesn't it? Do I have proper control of my tongue? Number two, am I continually helping those who are in need? Am I serving others? Am I ministering to others? Am I taking care of others? And then number three, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. That means to keep on keeping yourself unspotted by the world. To be unspotted means to be without spot, without blemish, without stain. We've been called by the gospel, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14. We have obeyed the gospel, those of us that are Christians, and therefore we've been translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. When that happened, we were also cleansed by the blood of Jesus, Revelation 1, 5. The Bible says unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And then we're commanded as by James in James chapter 2 verse 15 that we are not to love this world, neither things are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We can't be friends with the world. James chapter 4 verse 4. Ye adulterers, ye adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. We are not to have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them, Ephesians 5.11. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, we are not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the newing of our minds. We are to present ourselves as living sacrifices before God. We are not to be entangled again <clears throat> in the things of this world because we'll be worse off than we were before we obeyed the gospel, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20 through 22. We must keep ourselves pure. 1 Timothy 5, 22. Paul told Timothy, he said, Lay hands suddenly <clears throat> on no man, neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. And the blessing for so doing is you will see God. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Question number three, am I keeping myself free from the pollutions of the world? <clears throat> what an examination.
Every time I study that passage, it makes me say, Mike, you need to do better. You need to make corrections. You can improve here. You can improve there. May God help us all to be sure that we are not hearers of the word only, but that we hear and we do. So we will be pleasing in God's sight and better able to help others that are in need. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, we encourage you to become one. You have the promise of being cleansed by the blood of Jesus. He'll wash away every sin you've ever committed. Though they be as the stars in the sky, he'll wash every single sin away in his blood, simply meaning he'll forgive you of them all. It will be as though you've never committed sin, but you've got to be obedient to the word. That means you've got to hear it, Romans 10, 17. You don't hear it, you don't know what to do. You've got to hear the instruction, so you've got to be a hearer of the word, but then you also need to be, you must be a doer of that word. That means when you're told that you have to believe, John 3, 16 and John 8, 24 and many other passages, you, you believe Jesus Christ is Son of God. You repent of your sins, Acts 17, 30 and 31. You confess him before men to be the Son of God, Matthew 10, 32. So he'll confess you on that day. And then you're baptized because Jesus said, he that believes and baptized shall be saved. Mark 16, 16. It doesn't get any plainer than that. Obey the gospel. Be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. And then as Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. If you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, won't you come right now as together we stand and sing?